Well, as you can see, we are entering a new sermon study today, and I am excited about this. I, if you know me, and Pastor Jeremy knows this, I start preparing for these new sermon studies about a month or maybe even longer if I get a chance in advance. And I have been excited about this one. This is one that just confirms to me that we have a God who's not distant, who is loving and wants relationship with us. And all throughout the Bible, from the old to the new, all the way to the book of Revelation, we see that he wants to dwell among his people. And we're going to see that in a bold and hopefully new way as we go through these studies. Um, If you get a bulletin, and I would encourage you as we do this new sermon studies to get a bulletin, because there's this There's going to be an insert each week in the bulletin. If you're a note taker like I am, whenever I sit down, I write notes. One time Sherry and one of our classes together borrowed my notes, and she laughed at me because at the bottom of the page, I put this little arrow that said, next, to make her turn to the right page. I just wanted her to make sure she could follow along. So I am a note taker, though, and I'm going to try. My commitment to you is during this series, there'll be a little outline that you can kind of fill in the blanks and uh, follow along. Number one, hopefully it'll keep you awake. But number two, there's a lot of content in these studies. And so I think this is a great way to capture that content. So just know over the next couple weeks, there will be a sermon outline in the bulletin. And then something else I wanted to let you guys know about, there's a group called Rose Publishing. They're very, very good when it comes to Bible charts, uh, genealogy, chronology of the Bible. They do these wonderful, wonderful charts. One of my main sources for this study, and I've done it as like a Bible study. I haven't done it as much in sermons, but the Rose Guide to the Tabernacle is one of my, one of my favorite resources. Uh, it always points to Scripture. It gives you Scripture for every statement, everything that they do. Um, I'm going to leave it on the front pew uh, during the study if you want to kind of look at it and kind of double-check me, make sure I get my facts correct. But I'll leave it there. You can look at it on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, before or after church. It's a great little resource. It's almost like a library that you can check out and kind of look at and just study, but it's a great resource that, that I find personally something that has helped me. So obviously, we're going to be studying the Old Testament tabernacle. And if you know anything about the tabernacle, frankly, it's just a tent. That's all it is, a tent in the wilderness. So why in 2022 are we studying about a tent in the wilderness? That was centuries, centuries ago. Why? Well, the tabernacle really tells us the story of God. It tells us that he wants us to go from the outer court into the inner court of his presence. He wants relationship with you. What God wants most of all is a relationship with you. And that's what the tabernacle tells us. And you will see that each and every week how God desires to connect with you. So let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're gonna read just one verse, Exodus 25, verse eight, and you saw it in the video, but it just simply says this, and let's read it together since it's short. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Dear Heavenly Father, 
bless the reading of your word. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say to you, Lord, praise be to God. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the reality is, is that we all desire relationship. I read a story once that broke my heart because I can kind of relate to it a little bit. There was a a father and his young son. And his young son came up to the father one night and said, Dad, how much money do you make per hour? And the dad was kind of annoyed by the question. You know, they didn't talk about money in the family. But finally, the dad thought, well, let let me teach him a little bit. And he said, well, son, I make $40 an hour. And the son said, oh, okay, okay. He said, dad, could I borrow $20? And the dad just kind of got upset with the son and said, $20? I mean, that's a lot of money for us, 20 bucks. Are are you going to buy a toy? Is it going to be a video game? What what do you want $20 for? Of course you cannot have $20. You have to earn that money just like I have to earn that money at work. And the boy walked away sad. And finally, the father kind of thought about the request And he thought about it a little more and said, you know, maybe I was a little hard on my son. So he went up to the son, and the son was in his bedroom. And he said, son, you know what? I rethought about this, and here's the $20 that you asked for. And the son's face just lit up with a smile, and he was so excited. And he reached under his pillow, and he pulled out another $20 bill. And he gave it to his dad the 20 that he had and the 20 his dad gave him. And he said, dad, could I buy an hour of your time where you come home early tomorrow and have dinner with me so we can talk? And it just broke the dad's heart and he asked for forgiveness. You see, whether you're a young son or an overworked father, we long for relationship. We need relationship. I need relationship with Larry and Jeremy and all of you. I need a relationship with Sherry and Evan. We need that relationship. And make no mistake, we are made in the image of God. And he longs for relationship with us as well. But he's not a busy father. He's always there right when you call his name. You see, what happened is in the Garden of Eden, and you know this, sin entered this world and it separated us. Sin separates us from a holy God. And what happens is when that sin separates us, there are consequences to sin. And the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin is for us, we have a broken relationship with God. And obviously, Adam and Eve had to leave the Garden of Eden. They had to leave that that place where the Bible tells us that they were able to walk in the cool of the day with God and communicate that type of presence, that kind of relationship. But sin destroyed all that. But did God give up on mankind? Absolutely not. Even though sin had destroyed that beautiful relationship, God throughout the Bible, throughout the Bible, from the Old to the New Testament, is always looking for a way to dwell with his people. And that's where the tabernacle comes in. 
The tabernacle was a way for God to restore that relationship, to dwell with his people so that he could be their God and they could be his people. And when we study the tabernacle, we will see the loving, grace-filled, merciful God that we serve. He is the God Almighty. He is great as the Lord. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the one who wants to have a relationship with you today. That's what the tabernacle teaches us. The word tabernacle in Hebrew is mishkan, which means to dwell or a dwelling place or a residence. How it's translated many times when it's the tabernacle of Moses is the place where God dwells. So mishkan's the Hebrew word, but the word tabernacle appears in the New Testament in the Greek as well. One of the words is found in John chapter 1, verse 14. This is talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling, his tabernacle among us. That Greek word is skinio, which is mishkan. So what John is telling us is that Jesus became flesh and he made his tabernacle among us. Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. And so we see evidence of Jesus even in that Old Testament tabernacle. In fact, you're going to find this morning that when you look at all the elements of the tabernacle, they all point to Jesus because Jesus is God's dwelling in the flesh. Jesus is that tabernacle that came to seek and save that which was lost. So if you like to take notes, and you're like me, you don't have to put that little arrow that says over or next page, but you can fill out in your, in, your, in your outline. The tabernacle points to and finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of people believe that Jesus's existence began in the manger on Christmas Day. And that's true. That's when his earthly ministry began. But make no mistake, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has always been. He has always been there long before Bethlehem. He was there when God spoke this world into existence, when Adam and Eve were formed, when the Garden of Eden was established. Jesus Christ was there. And we see evidence of him all throughout the Old Testament. And we especially see it in the tabernacle. Let me give you some examples. When you look at the tabernacle, the first thing you come into, into the courtyard, is the bronze altar. It's the altar of sacrifice. It reminds us that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. It's amazing that once Jesus died on the cross, all the animal sacrifices in the temple and in the Old Testament tabernacle ceased because he was the perfect sacrifice. The bronze laver. This is the big pool of water that the priests would wash themselves to become ceremonially clean before they could go into the tabernacle. We are made clean because of not what we do, but what Christ has done for us. The, uh, the lampstand. I love the lampstand. It's a menorah in the tabernacle. It reminds us that Christ is the light of the world. And remember in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus told his followers, you are the light of the world, to be put on a stand, to give light to everyone in the house. So he's the light of the world and he wants to shine his light through our lives. 
Think about the table of showbread. It's a beautiful picture of communion, but it also reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life. He is our provision. He provides salvation. He provides sanctification. He provides everything that we need. And then the altar of incense. This is actually referred to even in the book of Revelation. And what it symbolizes is our prayers and our life offered up to God as this beautiful aroma that permeates all of heaven. And it reminds us that Christ right now is at the right hand of the Father interceding in prayer for us. We see Christ even there. And make no mistake, the Ark of the Covenant exemplifies Christ as well. In fact, we know in the Ark of the Covenant that the Ten Commandments were in there, Aaron's budding rod, and then a jar of man. But those Ten Commandments were considered the law, the Word of God. So they thought of it as the Ark of the Testimony. And remember, Jesus is the living Word that points us to his Father. And remember, on the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies was God's presence. Christ is God's presence among us. Remember, Emmanuel, God with us. And then think of the mercy seat. That's the angels on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And remember, every year, the priest would only go one time into the Holy of Holies. And if they did anything wrong, they would be killed instantly. They had to do it the way God commanded them to do. But they would go one day a year, the day of atonement, the day of recon uh, reconciliation, they would go in there, it was Yom Kippur, and they would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat for all the sins of the people to be forgiven. Remember, Jesus grants us mercy by his shed blood on the cross. He is the mercy seat. He's the one who's provided that sacrifice so we don't need to do animal sacrifices anymore. And think of the veil. Josephus, the historian, tells us that veil was four inches thick. He said that horses could not tear that veil apart, let alone could a man tear that veil apart. That veil separated the priest from the holy of holies. And so that veil was there even in the temple of Solomon, the temple of Herod, right until the day Jesus died. And remember, we have been separated from the presence of God due to sin. But the day that Jesus died on that cross, his body was torn and the veil in the temple was torn as well. He died and we were granted access to his presence. That veil was torn so that we, could experience the presence of God. We see Jesus all throughout the tabernacle. And when you look at the verses one through nine, you see a lot of things like they talk about how the people of Israel brought an offering to share, to build this tabernacle. And it wasn't like the junk in their basement or the junk in the garage, like I have a lot of that. It was gold, silver, and bronze, fine linens. They brought their best for God. And that reminds me that, yes, God provides a way for us to have relationship. He provides that perfect sacrifice, but we have to give ourselves as an offering as well. And then he says that I will dwell, tabernacle among them. And he lays out this specific pattern of the tabernacle and all its furnishings. Make no mistake, we serve a God of details. 
He has every detail numbered, every detail, and he knows the details of your life. We see that God of details in the tabernacle. So if you're taking notes, that word sanctuary in verse eight means a sacred and holy place. It means a place where God dwells that is set apart from everything else. That is the sacred and holy place. And we know that God is holy. In fact, Isaiah 6.3 tells us, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. If we serve a holy, holy God, his dwelling place has to be holy and sacred, set apart. And that's what the tabernacle was. The next thing we see is God should not be treated as common, as common. You know, God, once again, is holy. He is He's distinguished from common things. He is high and lifted up, like we sang about today. He is full of majesty. He is not common. One of my biggest pet peeves, and you've probably heard this before, people who refer to God as the man upstairs or the big guy in the sky. I've even heard preachers say, oh, if Jesus were to come down in this service right now, I'd give him a high five. We would just be, you know, best friends forever. I don't think that's what would happen if Jesus came down and joined our sanctuary today. I think if he came down in person, in his manifest presence, right here, right now, we would be all on our face, worshiping and praising our holy and mighty king. In fact, the psalmist would agree. He says, worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness, not commonality, his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. God is not common. He is not ordinary. He is holy. He's extraordinary. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's great and mighty as the Lord our God. He is great and greatly to be praised. He is not common. The next thing we know is God chooses the insignificant to fill his significance. So think of this, and I've been camping many times I'm going to the Awake uh, uh, concert, hopefully this July, and there's an option to stay in the tent. I've done that before, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, the camping. I think Sherry and I talked, we're doing the hotel, not a tent. Let me tell you, there's nothing more insignificant in this world than a tent. It gets, especially in July, it's sweaty, you get rained on, It's a little stinky. It's very insignificant. But God chose to dwell among the people in a tent, in the wilderness, in the desert. That's going to be far hotter than Canton, Ohio. That is how insignificant that tent was. But God filled that tent with his significance. Why is that important? I don't know if you've ever been like me and you felt insignificant. You've made mistakes. You've failed miserably. Maybe you didn't even spend enough time with your son because of your busy work schedule. And Satan has this way of just beating you up and telling you you're worthless, telling you you have nothing, that you're insignificant. There's scripture that tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple, and God's spirit tabernacles 
in your midst. You think God can make an insignificant tent significant because of his presence? Just think what he can do to a life who says, yes, Lord, yes, and let your presence dwell in me, your temple, your sanctuary. Let your spirit dwell in me. And suddenly the insignificant becomes significant, not because of what I've done, because of what God has done for me. That's the God we serve. He makes the insignificant significant. He's the one that dwells there. The tabernacle had one entrance. There was only one way to the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, our high priest, Jesus Christ. Only one way. When you look at God's design for the tabernacle, and remember, he's the God of details, no mistakes. This isn't just thought of, oh yeah, let me throw a bronze altar over here, a laver of water over there. No, God had a purpose for each and every element. But you'll see that there is only one entrance into the tabernacle area. It actually entrance, it goes into the outer court. It's found in Exodus 27, 13, where that one entrance gets you into the courtyard and you see the brazen altar, you get all of that. But there's no entrance anywhere else. At our house, you can go through the garage, you can go through the patio, you can even sneak in through a window, which we've had to do a couple times when we lock ourselves out. There's a lot of ways to get into our house, but into God's dwelling place, his tabernacle, there was only one way. And I found it interesting that it was on the east side of the tabernacle. Why is that important? If you go back to Genesis, when all of us got separated from God, God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and he placed at the east, of the Garden of Eden, cherubims with a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, out of his presence, and put up this angel with a flaming sword to guard against it, and it was on the east side. Isn't it interesting that the only one entrance into the tabernacle was located on the east side? You see, we serve a God of restoration. What sin had destroyed, God said, no, I'm gonna make a way for you to come into my presence, for you to have a relationship, for you to have communion with me. I will be your God and you will be my people. He is a God of restoration. And there's only one entrance and there's only one reason why. Jesus kind of talks about it in John 14, six. He says, I am the way, one way, the truth, one truth, the life, one life. You see, we live in a world that tells you there's many ways to heaven, many ways to God. But Jesus says, no, there's only one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we see that truth even in the tabernacle. There's only one way into God's presence. And like that today, there's only one way to the Father, and it's Jesus Christ, our Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The tabernacle also shows the immeasurable worth of Jesus Christ. The immeasurable worth of Jesus Christ. If you journey through the tabernacle, you'll see as you go through the outer courts, things start with bronze, 
then you might get some brass in there. You go into the Holy of Holies, there'll be some silver, all of this. And as you get closer to the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant is layered in gold, the most precious of metals. And so you see, as you draw closer to the Lord, as you go into his presence, as you have that relationship with him, you're getting more and more immeasurable worth. It's precious. God wants us to experience the immeasurable worth of his entering his presence. Think of this. On those busy days where the world seems like it's falling apart, you have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the great and mighty God, the God that is great and greatly to be praised. And as we journey into his presence, we see his immeasurable worth and the worth of the relationship he wants to have with us. So finally, through the tabernacle, and you've seen it all morning, God is saying a couple of things. Number one, he's saying, I will dwell in your midst. I'm not this distant God up in heaven who set the world in place and then you guys figure it out. No, I wanna be with you. I wanna be a part of your life. I love you. I wanna dwell in your midst. He will meet with you. He will meet with you. That is an amazing thing. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords wants to have a meeting with Ed Simons. I can't believe that. But that's what the tabernacle says. He will meet with you. And then finally, and I love this. God will offer restoration, forgiveness, and life. And not just life, life more abundantly, life to the full. That's what he offers, and that's what the tabernacle story tells us. He will dwell, he will meet, and he will offer restoration, forgiveness, and life. Too many times, we take his relationship for granted. We neglect spending time with him. Can I just tell you this week was a rough week for me. I was traveling for work right from the airport. I almost had to stop home and then go to district assembly. I was scrambling all around. I felt like that busy father. I didn't get to talk to Evan as much as I like. And we've got some important things we're dealing with, with senior stuff and all that. But because of my busyness, I was consumed with it. And it was a rough week. I feel exhausted. At times I felt empty. But what the study is showing me is that God has done everything for me to come to him and be in his presence. He has torn the veil and I can go into the holy of holies and just cry out to him and say, Lord, I need you. Forgive me of my busyness. Forgive me of my selfishness. Meet with me, dwell with me today. And what the tabernacle and what the Bible tells us is he will answer that prayer. You might say, well, Pastor Ed, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's always with you. That, yeah, that's true. 
But if you look at the Bible, there are times where his manifest presence is real. And it's something that we need to take time and meet with him. You look at the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, Mount Sinai, where God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Those were the manifest presence of God. And even in the Holy of Holies, his presence was there. And because Jesus died once and for all, and that veil was torn, we have that opportunity to go into the Holy of Holies and meet with him. We can have the presence of God in our life in a real and powerful way. After the week I've had, I need his presence. I need to bask in it. I need to just cry out to him and just ask him to be with me. Maybe you're like me. Maybe that's something you need to do as well. I want us to sing, and I know this isn't a song that normally is a congregational song, but the words are so powerful, and it tells us that even in the midst of a busy life, even in a life that's full of pain, heartache, and sorrow, we can have an audience with the King of kings and Lord of lords. We can be in his manifest presence, the holy of holies, because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. So I'd like us to stand and we're going to sing in the presence of Jehovah. If you don't know the words, they'll be on the screen. And even if you don't want to sing along, I, I never like to sing solos. But you can certainly join us on the chorus. It's very easy. And as you sing this song, this altar's open. If you need to reconnect, if you need to be in this presence, he is here. And he wants, he desires to be with his people. As we sing this song, Be Obedient, this altar's open. Let's sing this together. <laughs>